Good morning. Clears out pretty good in here. Uh, the kids and the adults working with kids move on. We, uh, we're in a, seas- a series on the Sermon on the Mount. For those who are new with us or who haven't been in a bit, and we're going to be in, uh, really we're in a series on the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew most of this year, but right now we, we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles um, or your phones, don't go to Facebook unless you're posting like killer sermon, Josh. <laughs> um, but uh, we're in Matthew chapter 6 um, today. In Matthew 6, um, we find Jesus on a mountain with his disciples. And he's teaching about this wild proclamation he's made. And that is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That God's reign is real um, and active in the world. And the Sermon on the Mount is kind of his way to lay, lay out what that looks like. We've been working with a, a metaphor that Aaron shared with us a few weeks ago about the different teachings that we find in the Sermon on the Mount and trying to think about those teachings as if they are like particular dance moves. So does anyone want to demonstrate a dance move for us this morning? Um, Sonia will. Oh, was that the demonstration right there? Okay. And that was it. I have no dance moves. I mean, I could do, you know, something like that maybe. Um, the, uh, we all do. That's right, Missy. Thank you. Um, I think what's helpful, the image, and I, we, we showed the video last week, is that you can watch an amazing dance move, uh, a dance routine of either a group of people or even an individual, frankly. Um, and it can look so effortless and so beautiful and just magical even. But none of that is possible without like work on one particular move and getting that one particular move down which then builds on the next one. And then that one you got to work on. Um, and then at some point, like, the magic takes over, right? And then you're not even working, but you're just kind of flowing. Now, this is all hypothetical on my part. Just it seems like that when some of you dance. Um, it just begins to take on this life and this beauty. But without the work of the specific moves... It's not possible. And there's certainly other metaphors where this type of um, image could be found. And so we're trying to think about the Sermon on the Mount and the practices taught in that as like moves that a community practices together. Um, That God, by God's grace and mercy and spirit, turns into a life. A dance um, that bears witness 
to this kingdom of heaven that is breaking out. And so when Jesus talks about um, anger and watching our mouths or talks about forgiveness and forgiving not only those we care for, but those that we don't, our enemies. Um, Later, when Jesus will talk to us about worry and treasures in heaven, um, these are moves that, frankly, some of us will be better than others. Some of us will be terrible at some of these. Some of us will honk our horn and shine our lights with no possibility of ever stopping. Um, And some of us, like Jason, will lean into... um, these practices and as a body by the grace and mercy of God hopefully something resembling the kingdom of heaven can can break out and so Jesus is on this mount with his disciples and um, think about the types of people who follow teachers up a mountain These are people who have the time, they have the passion, um, they're convinced that something radically new needs to happen and and is happening. Um, And they're on this mountain, and it's very similar to the imagery to Moses on the mountain receiving the covenant of God. God's commitment to God's people and the call to what commitment to God might look like. It's the same kind of thing going on with Jesus. It's, it's God's commitment to these people on the mountain, God's commitment to you, those of us who would say, we follow Jesus. Um, and it's a bit of a shape of what kind of a covenant and a commitment and living out of that might look like. At some point, Jesus says that those people living in this, this dance, if you will, are the light. And are the salt. A city on a hill. These are like very public images. Right? And then Jesus goes on and says. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness. This like. This justice life. That looks like. These practices, um, full of life because of who God is, not by our own efforts. But unless you're this light, this salt, this city on a hill, and you're you're living beyond that of the scribes. And again, remember, these these people would probably hear that and go, the scribes live this stuff pretty tightly. Um, That you'll never inherit or enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, that's not an afterlife thing in this context. It's a, a new thing today. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, we read a different verse. Beware of practicing your piety. And I have no idea why, but the word piety here is the same as righteousness here. So beware of practicing your righteousness, your justice, before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father 
in heaven. Jesus begins chapter 6 with, I think, a healthy warning about our justice, about our righteousness. Um, and it can give us pause, a little bit of confusion. Wait a minute, you just said we're a light and salt, and you know, now you're saying beware of practicing it. Um, righteousness can be harmful, it seems. Luther often insisted that righteousness might be more dangerous than our sin at times because it can lead to self-glorification. Um, another, another way maybe to describe this would be like theatrical righteousness. Concern that we are just dramatically noticeable. Um, the word hypocrite that we read about in the Sermon on the Mount, actually its root is like this idea of a performer, uh, an actor. And so there's this strong caution right in the beginning of Matthew 6 about how we go about practicing our justice, our righteousness, our piety. And so I want us to kind of sit with that, that tension really. You're a light, you're salt, be careful how you practice your righteousness and your piety. Jesus goes in to talking about three, like, really classic Jewish Lenten practices um, in terms of faith. And those, those three practices, I want to look at these three super briefly. One is almsgiving. One is prayer. And one is fasting. And I want to explore these. Um, Jesus' strong assumption is that these people on the mount would do these things. They practice almsgiving, they pray, and they fast. Um, so almsgiving. Whenever you give alms... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Throughout this passage, there's reference to God as Father. Um, and we, we, we recognize consistently around Mountainside how tricky that metaphor can be for some people. So I just want to say that. Um, and, and hopefully we're growing as a community to know that our understanding of fatherhood um, will shape less our vision of God as much as God's, who God is can shape our parenting. Um, one of the things that my boys are kind of into these days are magic tricks, especially Zach, um, card tricks. And so there'll be afternoons or nights where he'll bring out the cards and he'll have done his research online and he'll, you know, start doing his thing, right? And he's like moving the decks around and like counting them out and all right, dad, pick a card, you know, and I pick a card and he does his thing and I can kind of already see where he's going with this and 
then all of a sudden he like hits it and like all the cards fly and he pulls out the one card is is this your card dad no (laughs) oh you know and he goes back and he kind of works it and he like gets it all together again same thing smacks it cards fly is this your card no, but the one right behind it that you're holding also is, you know? <laughs> Until finally, he gets it down. Um, and then some friend comes over, a grandparent or, you know, whoever, and he does the trick for them, and it works, right? And they're like, wowed. But me, as a parent, I'm not necessarily wowed. By the fact that he pulls it off. What I'm wowed about is the work he's doing. The fun we're having as he develops this craft. Um, the laughter that we enjoy when the card is wrong or it's close. Um, that's what I'm seeing. And, and I almost get the sense that as we read this passage on alms that, that God is almost blind to when we get it just right and perfect and maybe that's a bit of an overstatement but but you get this sense like don't let the left hand do know what the right hand is 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 going has going on or whatever wherever that is is that in there yeah is it is that next yeah is it in there yeah there it is okay thank you um, you get this sense that there, there's something deeper and, and, and more important going on um, than what everyone sees, that everyone notices or recognizes. Um, I, I also love how realistic this passage is. Um, Jesus talks about people who give and others noticing having received their reward. And I think that's just like a, a true statement, right? I don't read that necessarily as like a big judgment um, on those who give. I, I read that as a little bit more of a matter of fact. Like those who give a lot of money to a certain cause will get a library named after them or a, you know, a school named after them or, you know, whatever. And that's awesome. Um, and Jesus seems to be saying, yeah, that's their reward. I wouldn't mind having a lot of money and being able to give some money and, like, have something named after me. Sure, you know. Um, maybe I would. But you know what I mean. Like, my point is this. Like, there's, there's reward there. And Jesus says, but the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. Um, And it's this funky, weird, upside-down reality um, where God rewards differently. Um, God doesn't see just the finished magic trick, but sees the feeble, open attempts um, at giving uh, that any of us can practice. Almsgiving, giving to the poor, um, giving of your time, your money, um, 
giving your energy to causes um, of justice and righteousness. Um, stumbling along seems to be okay with this economy, this way of life that is the kingdom of heaven. And again, Jesus seems to be convinced that God's people will do this. And so this is not an off-the-hook kind of thing, but this is an invitation into getting to work, giving alms. Um, the, the reality is, or the fact that Jesus refers to God as Father, I think, I think takes away some of the economic meanings that we have around reward. Um, like this is a familial relationship. This is not a business relationship. And so when, when, we, when we hear that God rewards, um, it, it, it cracks this thing open to this, this um, dynamic where we don't really know what's first, the chicken or the egg. It's not economic, like you do this and then I do this, or you do this and then you get that. Um, it's this covenant love, faithfulness stuff that we act out of. Zach comes to me when he has a magic trick he knows he hasn't mastered yet because he knows it doesn't matter if he gets it right. And my love doesn't depend on him getting that right. Um, my love nurtures, I think, his courage to give it a shot. Um, he probably doesn't do it for the guest until he knows he has it right. But for the one who, whom we're confident in their love for us, we can, we can explore and experiment and try out this stuff. Amen? This is good for us today after church. Diacono, oh wow, we're running out of time. I gotta get moved. Diacono's doing budgets today, so ask us um, afterwards how, uh, how that goes. We're, we're working on our annual budget. Um, and this stuff lands on the ground in, in the life of our body. I'm gonna do prayer briefly because we've done prayer recently, but. But Jesus says, whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may, so they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you're praying, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. A couple commentaries note the, the, the makeup of, of houses during this time, and that there was really only one room that had a lock on it. And that was kind of the, the storage room where the animal feed was, maybe some tools, maybe some small animals. Um, and that maybe this is a reference to, like, when you pray, go to that place where you're not going to be distracted. Um, go to that place where you can be open and vulnerable with God. Um, 
because no one wants to go to the room where the animal feed is or the tools, and you can lock it. Um, we talk a lot around here, and I believe this 125%, that we want our entire lives to be a prayer to God. We want our, our, our entire life to be open to God's movement, to God's spirit, in the most mundane, normal, um, daily, weekly tasks that we all are about. Um, and the reality is, like, in my friendships, and my relationships, I want, I want the, the love and compassion and honesty that I experience in different relationships. In, in a similar way, I want those to always have that feel, right, and have that openness, with Ari, with people I work with, with you. I want, I want all of that. But unless we stop and interact openly and honestly with one another, the possibility of that life, that ongoing awareness of God's activity, um, the consciousness of it, it does I think diminish. Ari and I, you're gonna be some of you will be jealous of this. My kids can stay home by themselves now for a little while. Um, so Ari and I went for a walk last night. It was wonderful. Kids were home. Um, uh, and we just went for a couple mile walk and we came home and sat down and talked and Certainly, I had this sermon on my mind, um, and I just, you know, it just struck me like we can go on in our day to day, but if we don't have those kinds of moments, it's hard for our day to day to be really conscious of one another and 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 of who each other are. And I just wonder if that might be a call for Mountainside um, as we work through the Sermon on the Mount together um, to be a people who pray. Together, but individually too. To pray individually together. And Jesus goes on, he talks about this, this prayer that we've gone over you know, as a whole series before. Our Father in heaven. I think you cannot get away from the fact that we pray together. Um, and Jesus says, go into a secret place and pray um, at the same time. I won't go into this too much because Sonia did last week, but you can't pray the way God teaches us to pray without forgiving. It's a practice we got to get crack ourselves open to. We got to get to know the ones in this room who are good at it and we can learn from. And we want to be a people who forgive. And so to pray means acknowledging our sin to God, um, welcoming God's forgiveness for us and for the world, and being willing to vulnerably move out into practicing forgiveness 
of our enemies and our neighbors and our loved ones and people we come into contact with. Um, Craig spoke on prayer during our practices series and one of the lines that really kind of grabbed me, he talked about how prayer is the way God breaks into our lives, the way God interrupts our darkening despair, the way God interrupts the closing off of our lives, the way God holds us open and sets us to work. Um, this is one of those stories that's totally in process, um, but I, it, it, it reminds me of of work that is prayerful and that needs personal prayer to sustain it. And that is that this, this small group of people who are working with, and it's some people from our church, but other um, pa- parents and, and, and ch- churches are represented in the city. We're trying to get the school district in our city to pass a resolution to declare our school district um, a safe, sensitive zone for people and families and kids who are undocumented. And so we're just kind of cracking ourselves open. All the friendships we've had in influential places. We got together. We met. We planned. We prayed. We met with the superintendent. We were very optimistic. And it didn't go quite like we had hoped. Um, strong, I know her well. She, Dr. Trozin is great. Strong commitment to the work that we were asking for. And just concern and in some ways understandable about making public statements and the division that that can bring in a community. Um, but we left discouraged, right, Katie? Katie's there. Um, and Jessica was there, and um, Francisco and Rebecca, who are, he's an Episcopalian priest, and Robert from La Fuente. So we regrouped, and we prayed, and, and now we're starting to strategize a bit because we're, we're thinking, well, we, we think we, this is important. We need to be about this. And so we're, we're hoping to organize a night if, if, if people are comfortable where some stories can be shared here um, so that we can be, speak on behalf of people at maybe a school board meeting or, or at other meetings that we end up going to. We, we haven't lined out the whole strategy. But it just reminded me of, like, this is prayerful work. This is, God, your will be done. Not our will, but your will. And we don't know what our will is in this. I mean, we have an idea, but we don't want to practice our justice and our righteousness for anyone's sake other than than God's Um, and so we we're we're taking one step at a time and there's going to be ways for people potentially to get involved in this and we want to keep you posted Um, but this is more just an example of yeah this is this is life as prayer and we need to be praying as we journey through this process for courage and wisdom and openness um, on our part, as well as those people that we're working with. The last practice that uh, Jesus talks about is that whenever you fast, don't look dismal like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head... And wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. 
And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, Jesus seems to assume that these people will fast. Fasting is hard. It's really hard. Um, but it doesn't have to be dismal. And, and there's lots that we can learn in fasting. Primarily about things that we think we need that we end up really not needing. Um, let's not miss that one. Fasting teaches us about things that we think we need, but we really don't need. And that's freedom. And so fasting is hard and fasting God can use to bring about freedom and liberation. And Jesus assumes that we'll practice it. I think primarily what fasting does is it teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is not something that we achieve, that we go out and figure out, that we go out and make happen. But it reminds us that it's a received gift. And lilies of the field are dressed and birds of the air are taken care of. And so I want to end um, by going back to this, this, this tension that seems to be there. You're the light. You're the salt. Beware of practicing your justice, your righteousness um, in front of people. This is a motives question, right? Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. I think that's tempting for some of us. That we practice our piety, um, our justice, so that others will see it and see us do it. What I love about this is Jesus' like candor. Like when you do stuff, when you prioritize stuff, you have reasons for it. So this passage could be read like, when you do these things, don't do it for any other reason but to do them. But I think that's impossible. I think if that's your posture, you're doing these things with the desire that you can do them for no other reason than doing them. Like you can do them in some pure, like, holy way. Track with me here, because I think this is really important from outside. These are not universal practices, according to Jesus. These are not like good ideas for all human beings to do. These are faith practices. He's very clear. There is a motive for giving, for praying, for fasting. 
And that motive is that the living God is breaking in and that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, And so Jesus invites us to open ourselves up to the living God. That's what he's inviting us to do in this. Not to go out and fast. Not to go out and pray. Not to go out and give everything away. I mean, Jesus wants us to do those things. He assumes that we'll do those things. But the motive is not to please others. It's not to feel good about yourself. The motive is to open yourself to God, the living God. Um, Who's at hand uh, among us? How many groups are we missing? One? Two? What does this say about God? There's this tricky word in there that God rewards. And I want us to leave here knowing that God rewards. And it's not a reward like an economic transaction. Um... It's a reward um, like the fruit and life of a loving, gracious relationship. Um, What does this tell us about God? God is in secret. That word is just laced throughout this passage. This God that we want to open ourselves to is in secret and notices that which is in secret. And I think if we read this passage closely, we we see what, what is meant by that is that God is not in only the religious festivities. And as simple as this all is, like this is simple, right? We 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 pride ourselves in our simplicity. Um, we're dressed like down, some of you in your pajamas still, right? Like, we're really into casual. This is still religious, a religious gathering. And this passage tells us that God is active even outside of this, um, in secret in the most personal and private realities that we face. And those are the heaviest ones, right? We're going to go and take Eucharist together like we do each week. Um, I, I want to sing a song, though, before we do that. I, Scott, can you lead us just in the... that, that la, the... The Prayers of the People song. Can we do that real quick? Okay. Kids, as you've come in, um, I want to invite you to sing with us. Um, Participate with us through singing and then all of us through listening as we we take Eucharist together. But let's sing. Singing opens our mouths. It opens us. Let's sing and just for a moment open consciously open ourselves to God's Spirit among us. And then we're going to take the Eucharist together. All right? Let's sing.
Why don't we stand um, and sing together?